0: welcome to the newfoundland beer podcast i'm natalie Dignam. today i'm talking with jordan stewart about hiking and beer jordan has worked in the east coast trail crew in newfoundland and is an avid hiker and power lifter and loves craft beer you might have caught up with jordan at the port rexton retail shop where he slings cans and fills growlers welcome to the podcast jordan thanks for having me so i feel like you have extensive knowledge of all the trails and i love that you post on your instagram like a beer pairing with the trail so i wanted to talk about like your favorite local trail and local beer pairing like the most satisfying hikes, hikes you've done with a great beer pairing
1: yeah so i mean obviously the east coast trail goes for like 330 odd kilometers uh so it's pretty big um In terms of things that are like close to St. John's, I love Dead Man's Bay Path. So from Fort Amherst out to Blackhead, just the different range of like views you can get out there is pretty crazy. Uh, That's probably my favorite close to town one. And then there's the obvious ones quite a ways away. Uh, Like the Spout Path is always incredible. And Spurwink Island, a little further south, if you go to the sea arch out there, that's a pretty great spot too. Oh,
0: we actually just did that. I did um Freshwater Bay, which is connected for people who don't know, is connected to Deadman's Bay path. It's just like a little loop kind of off of it. Um yeah, do you usually and then I just did the arch one for the first time. Do you usually do Deadman's Bay like you do an out and back?
1: Usually, yeah. I tend to hike alone a lot, uh, so I only have one vehicle, so it has to just be in one way and then hike back.
0: Yeah, that's one of the struggles I find because my husband and I will go out and want to do like a big hike, but a lot of them, because the East Coast Trail is this giant, you know, loop, you're only going to do like legs of it, so you have to like plan it out and back for a lot of them unless you have two cars.
1: Yeah and i mean there are a lot of shortcuts throughout it so that you can get to like deeper points in the trail without having to hike like 10 10 plus kilometers to get there but finding those is sometimes pretty tough
0: yeah it's crazy for such a well-developed trail and i've lived in um you know like different places and different states in the u.s the like different national parks like the adirondacks and um the White Mountains in New Hampshire, and I've spent a lot of time in the Green Mountains in Vermont, like the trail on the East Coast Trail are like extremely well developed. But to find trailheads and parking is actually really difficult. I just find there's way less like maps and guides and stuff than other places that have had like the trail maintenance that they have here because everything is marked.
1: The parking is always just such an issue for them to get like the access to build parking lots in certain areas is just impossible with land ownership. So that's definitely a hassle.
0: Yeah. Um, so what's a recent hike you did and what beer did you bring on it?
1: Uh, I mean, this morning I was out, I did part of Pico's Ridge out to Brock's head. Uh, and I took this year's 1080 from Port Rexton, the milk stout. Oh wow! Yeah, I just left the house at like eight a.m. and went out and did that. So,
0: okay, we're gonna do a little beer talk. Can you talk a little bit about that beer?
1: Sure. Yeah. Uh, so that's the eight and a half percent imperial milk stout that they released yesterday. Uh, it, I really enjoyed it. It's really smooth and creamy for an eight and a half percent beer. There's absolutely no indication. of that high abv at all
0: is this the one that they aged?
1: yeah uh i don't i haven't been given a whole lot of detail on it but i know they've been sitting on it for a while Mm. i was told yesterday i'm not sure how long but this is the barrel age series that they release every year i think it's the first year not a saison so that's pretty cool too (laughs)
0: is there like a type of beer that you end up gravitating towards when you're hiking? Like I find myself when I, because I have also done this like throughout backpacking and hiking, like I get to the peak and then I'll crack a beer. And I remember going with a group of friends and I like take out my beer and they were like, what are you doing? And I was like, obviously having a beer at the top, but yeah, I find myself like, I'll bring something much lighter or I've really enjoyed, um, What was the one the next generation that Port Rexton did this year? Because it was just like really light, but also low ABV. So I liked having like something like that on the trail. I don't think I'd be enough to have like a an aged milk stout.
1: Yeah, see, that's that's part of the downfall of having the mindset I do is I'll I'll just take it out there because that's what I want, and if I fall a couple times, just deal with the ramifications of it. (laughs) But yeah, I tend to like to bring out like sours or like lower alcohol percent, uh, IPAs, stuff like that. I just find they're really refreshing when you get way out in the woods after climbing a bunch of mountains and stuff like that. But occasionally I will bring some hefty milk stout or any type of stout really.
0: Yeah. Have you done any other like really good hikes recently since the pandemic started? Cause I think, uh, I guess this is something we should mention is you know like everyone's at home and you can't really go into work but like the outdoors are still there so I find myself hiking a lot more because there's really not much else you can do and you can be far away from people.
1: Yeah yeah it's one of those things that you can definitely keep doing because there's no like if people are out there then they're probably being safe as is but yeah uh what have we done recently? feel like i've been around pico's ridge a lot i really enjoy that one um i want to do more of white horse path so that's from balline to cape saint francis
0: yeah that's on that's our list too
1: really remote and brutal trail uh we did a, we did a bit of work out there last summer but there's still like 10 kilometers of untouched trail so that one's that one's nice. What else? I think where else we've been. I'm looking. Yeah. I'm looking to go more south with the trails. Mm-hmm. So St. John's sort of the middle point for people who don't know. And uh, I've already done all of the Northern trails a bunch of times. So the Southern ones are what stand out to me.
0: So is that like the uh, tinker red arch and stuff?
1: Yeah. Yeah, anything down that way is south. So the snow path, the sea arch, uh, there's a bunch of trails. Uh, basically, every community has a trailhead in it all the way to the s- most southern point of the island. Mm-hmm. And length really depends on distance between communities.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, I recently, as I said, did the Berryhead Arch, and I had never actually been to that like southern part of the trail at all and it is it's pretty different um because I do do a lot of hiking just kind of around St. John's uh because it's really easily accessible but when I actually get my act together and plan something I will drive
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: <laughs> uh, that's
1: the farthest south I've been for a trail is that one and it's it's almost 2 hours outside of town so it is pretty crazy to get out there. Yeah. We did do Chance Cove the other day. So not part of the East Coast Trail at all, but uh, it's about an hour and 15 minutes outside of St. John's, and it is beautiful. Very, like, it's not kept up in maintenance terms at all, but some of the views you can get out there are crazy.
0: Yeah. Well, I know this is a beer podcast, but I'm just going to selfishly ask you trail things because that's what I want to know. Um, so, we kind of chatted beforehand, but I'm just really curious. Uh, I've kind of I've followed the East Coast Trail Association about maintenance and stuff, and I'm sure a lot of people have noticed because uh, we had such a brutal winter this year, all like the downed trees and stuff. So, are they trying to plan for how to at least clear trails at this point? Uh,
1: we haven't been given that level of detail yet. Um, I know that is something you do every year. So, the first few weeks of work are just—we go out, we count which trails have the most blown-down trees on them, and then we go out there and do removal for another week and a half before getting in. I don't know if in. it's
0: me noticing uh, the difference now that you guys aren't out there right now, or yeah, haven't had the chance to like do the maintenance work, or if it's just like an especially bad winter. But I've never hiked so much with so many down trees.
1: I think it's definitely a bit of both because those would all be gone by this point. Like we would have started work a month ago. So any blown down trees would be long gone by this point.
0: Yeah. So I guess any hikers just kind of be aware that trail conditions are really, I've found kind of like hit and miss because they haven't had any maintenance at all.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: (laughs) Okay. We should talk a little bit about beer. So how did you get into craft beer? Um, We both worked at the Port Rexton retail shop. Um, I don't think ever in the same shift.
1: Don't think so, actually.
0: (laughs) Um, But yeah, how did you get into craft beer? And kind of like, what have you learned since you have started working there? Because I feel like I learned a lot once I actually started working in beer retail.
1: Yeah. Uh, So getting into craft beer basically started when I turned 19. Uh, Like, you just go to the liquor store and see everybody's bl- buying Blue Star and Canadian. But there was a whole cooler back there, stuff that I'd never seen anybody try before. And I just literally tried every single imported beer that the NLC had to offer. Uh, And that went a little further when uh, Les Perry and I were roommates for a year. Mm-hmm. He was working at Kitty video at the time, and he would just bring home all these different beers that they were putting out back then and trying out and it really just got me interested in all of it all the different flavors and types of beer you could have uh which has gone much further at this point um and at the retail shop yeah like learning how to describe beer to just your everyday person who might have never had any of these styles before is probably one of the biggest things i've taken from it
0: yeah that's so true. I I definitely struggle describing, especially when you're working with someone and you both have to taste the beer and you feel like it tastes different to both of you. And then we're like, oh no, what are we going to tell people?
1: <laughs> yeah. Which one do we go with now?
0: Was there um, like a beer that you tried or that Les introduced you for like to a style at the beginning that you were like hated or were not into? And that at this point now that you've had the chance to try so many other ones, you've gotten really into it?
1: Yeah, the first time I ever had a winter ale, I hated it so much. Um, now, I wouldn't say I hate it. I can appreciate the style and what they're going for. It's definitely not my go-to beer, though.
0: Yeah. I found with me, um, when I first had a sour, I was like, no. no, nope. Hard no. And now I, I'll totally crush a sour. Yeah. Especially, like you were saying, like hiking or something. Amazing. But... Yeah, when I first had one, I was like, "Mm." (laughs) mmm.
1: Yeah, see, that's one I've always loved. Like, the first time I had one, I was like, oh, you can do this with beer, too? That's
0: crazy. I found it really interesting that, uh, like, one of the big trends that happened here first was sours. For all the craft breweries, really, when we had, like, a significant number of them, everyone was brewing sours, because it was something that was pretty new to me, and I found like didn't really taste like how I expected beer to taste so I was like oh I don't I don't know if people are gonna like this but so many people who don't like beer love sours
1: yeah yeah it definitely got flooded when like I hadn't really noticed it as a style either and then the next thing you know everybody had a sour in town yeah. but it's, it feels like a middle ground between all those people who don't necessarily like beer per se but do like like lighter fruity drinks so it's sort of a good middle ground for those people
0: do you have any predictions about what what trend you think is going to be really popular in craft beer or anything that you've tried that's really different
1: uh i am now really interested in dessert stouts like after going to europe they had uh a lot of pastry stouts, stuff like that. Um, There's a Nordic style called a kvass. I had one of those in Iceland that just tasted exactly like a vanilla dip donut. And I think that would be something I could see people getting more into.
0: Huh. Okay. Yeah, no, that's not something I've really seen. I've seen like, there's like a few breweries in like San Francisco around that do a lot of they do a lot of like donut things because apparently donuts are huge in San Francisco. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe that'll make its way to Newfoundland and we'll have like dessert beer soon.
1: Oh, that'd be perfect. Everybody would love like jam jams in a beer.
0: Oh yeah, <laughs> I think Port Refson did do a jam jam. Yeah. Like something. Okay, I have one last question for you. And it's, uh, do you have any upcoming hikes that you're planning, that you're really excited about, like maybe new trail that you haven't checked out or something. One of your favorite trails that you like doing when the weather gets nice, so I can steal it, obviously.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, what do we got? Like I said earlier, White Horse Path. Um, I want to do more of that one. There's a certain work site that I got to build last year, and I. Really wanna go see how it held up over the winter, especially with how bad our winter was this year. Um, I just have to wait for that shortcut to be more accessible. Other than that, I would love to get back to the Sea Arch in the near future. And some more ones down there, like uh, there's a waterfall at on uh, Mudder Wet Path. It's just on the other side of Port Curwin from the Sea Arch that people have told me is incredible and if you're looking to go swimming there like apparently it's 20 feet deep so oh, i
0: have to go there because i'm i'm always looking for like swimming holes and places to swim and yeah. it's like really hard to find information on because people are secretive as heck
1: it's tough yeah we used when we were out on pico's ridge camping last summer uh brock's head waterfall there's a lovely spot you can sit in the waterfall and like just uh, have your back against this rock and the water's flowing in. There's also a giant pond there, but we had to use that for drinking water.
0: Oh, great. <laughs> yeah. Um. Do you mind if people follow you on Instagram to see your, your brews and hikes?
1: Oh, definitely. Go ahead.
0: All right. So what is your Instagram handle?
1: Uh, jstuart.94 four
0: all right everyone should go follow him because that is where i get my hiking like inspiration and also i just love how you like write about how the beer paired you with the hike
1: oh yeah
0: it always makes me laugh so thank you so much for <laughs> on the newfoundland beer podcast
1: oh thank you for having me again it was great
0: Thanks for listening to the Newfoundland Beer Podcast. Next up, I'm talking to Chris Scott of Toslow, a craft beer bar in downtown St. John's that also serves coffee and pastries. Chris talks about a recent collab he did with Port Rexton Brewery out in Port Rexton, Newfoundland, and also his inspiration behind Toslow. Well, first, I guess we should talk a, a little bit about Toslow oh, yeah. and just, yeah, why don't you just talk about it?
2: Yeah, so we'll start it off, I guess, yeah, with what Puzzle is at the moment, I guess, in some regards. Uh, So, I mean, we started as a small, maybe uh, 22-seater bar, essentially, mostly focused on beer. And then that kind of grew into something else where, you know, now we're also a cafe and we have food. And so, you know, it's a lot different than the early days. We're coming up on our two-year anniversary now. It will be June 15th. And yeah, so that's kind of how we started, and where we are now. Which things are a bit different, but uh, you know, some of the same things are there. We still really like to keep a focus in on like the local craft beer, independent brewery scene, and stuff from away as well. We've done some importing and stuff and whatnot.
0: I know this podcast is mostly I focus on beer, but you guys have a really great wine selection for people that are interested in like exploring natural wines yeah. and stuff so that's cool
2: yeah so we're, yeah we also have like I, I guess that's what we mostly expanded to in the drinking world is that yeah i mean it's it's harder to come by here but and we've actually focused more of our importing on now in the past while is getting more into natural wines and stuff and you know i think if you're into uh craft beer that's something that you could get into as well and you know it is sort of the Of the wine world, it's, you know, the the equal in a way, I guess. It's kind of weirder and wackier. So if you don't like wine, maybe try, you know, a natural wine and see what you think.
0: So now you're coming up on your two-year anniversary. Are you nostalgic at all for the days when you only served popcorn and jujubes? Because sometimes I'm a little nostalgic. Yeah, so
2: when it first opened, I mean, I I had it open seven nights a week. And for a long time, I was like one of the few people who worked here, and yeah, we just served small snacks to uh, because of just kind of red tape that was around uh, some of the liquor laws here. We, we had to be active at the restaurant, so we had a very small snack menu that you could kind of order off of and then, you know, just enjoy yourself and have some beer. Uh, and I mean, yeah, I really miss the old days. And, and in a lot of ways, I would still, you know, whatever happens with also going forward and whatever we're doing, I... I there is a part of me that would always love to go back and just open like a little 10 seater bar and that's, that's it. You know what I mean? There's nothing like it's super simple and stuff. So yeah, you know, it's maybe in the future, but yeah, I definitely miss it. And, but you know, what, it's, it's been really interesting to see it change, but also to see the local, all the local breweries that have come along since like we kind of started, there weren't as many and you know, it was when Kitty Vitty first came out with ComTom and stuff like that. So it's really interesting to see, you know, I think probably even a couple months ago how many local beers we had here compared to when we first opened, you know.
0: The scene has changed so much.
2: Yeah, big time. And and you know, from my perspective, I I lived away for a little bit in Montreal and stuff and like the you know, the Quebec beer scene is amazing. I I'm a, still I still think it's probably one of the best in North America. But you know, like we're not even started here yet. It's only just begun, you know. <laughs> to see, you know, what where things can go and whatnot. It, you know, the the ride only just begun. I think in a lot of ways, so it's going to be really fun to see, you know, next year and then three years from now and five years down the road, how different things will be and you know all the all the breweries and all the fun beers to try and whatnot. So
0: one of my favorite things that you talked about when we had talked back in like when was it twenty eighteen was about living in Quebec and like what you were exposed to there that made you want to start Toslo and I feel like this is for me what made it both like familiar as a as like a craft beer bar like moving up from the states but then also something that I hadn't really seen in Newfoundland kind of how you had drawn inspiration from all like those craft beer stores and like the little bars and stuff
2: yeah for sure yeah I, I mean that really influenced me when i moved home because a I, did, I didn't really have anything lined up to work at to begin with and i had no background in bartending or anything like that i was a screen printer before but i really liked beer so i you know and that, the second reasoning there it's like i had nowhere to drink really right uh and and thankfully that's changing there's you know uh there's more and more uh even bars and stuff that are having some more local taps and whatnot and uh We've got Doc that's going to open, I guess, in uh, somewhat in the future, which is uh, some of the fellows behind the Craft Beer Festival. So stuff like that, you know, is really appealing to me. And I can't wait to, uh, you know, finally sit down on the other end of the bar and hang out there. So, but yeah, I was definitely very inspired by, you know, things I really enjoyed there. So it was just to, you know, to mimic it, really.
0: Yeah, can you talk, just like describe a little bit about like your favorite, like spots, what they were like in Quebec that you were trying to kind of recreate here in Newfoundland.
2: Yeah, for sure. So I, I'll, I'll actually give three examples that are, are the actual inspiration for Taza. The first one's not in Quebec. We'll get to the second one in, in a moment, but the first one that really inspired me is actually a little bar. It's down in Kensington market in Toronto called Thirsty and Miserable. And that's, uh, they're focused on, you know, local brews and stuff in Ontario, obviously, and, and abroad. And that place hands down, maybe the biggest influence on Toslo in a lot of ways. Well, yeah, sorry. I guess kind of the correlation there is that Thirsty and Miserable is a very small, small bar. It's exactly what I wanted open. I didn't want anything big or, you know, and it's also, you know, you, anyone can go in there. It's not, you know, for a certain clientele or anything. It's it's certainly kind of a hole in the wall spot, which I think Toslo is as well. And then and Montreal is really inspired by Vise forsa which is, uh, I think it actually has the same owner as the dunham brewery now that place is a lot bigger like you know there's a lot i mean their capacity must be much much bigger but it still has that same feel where you know and it's it's in any person you know anybody can come in through that door and you know they can hang out in there it doesn't matter and they had over 40 taps of local quebec beer but i think the the main thing there is like how passionate they were about it you know like it was all locally crafted beer. You know, they were bringing stuff from away now and again, as long as it was independent. And, and that kind of, you can see throughout the whole Quebec scene is, you know, a lot of people are kind of, seem like they were into like probably punk rock and stuff beforehand. And I think a lot of it kind of comes from that because when they started brewing in the 90s, <laughs> and 2000s there, sorry, you know, it was a really new thing. And it was a really weird thing to probably be doing. It's interesting to see the really, you know, hardline dedication to uh, local beer there. And I've kind of become that fanatical about it at this point. <laughs> uh, and the third spot, I think, that was pretty influential is actually, and uh, is really unfortunate because uh, they, they actually won't be reopening, unfortunately, uh, is this little bar in Sackville, New Brunswick, called Thunder and Lightning. They're they're probably about the same size and capacity of Toslow and that really inspired me as well, I think, uh They probably didn't even really focus too much on craft beer, but, you know, it's a place that really, kind of for anyone, but really had its own sense of community and whatnot. And that's something that I, you know, really, you know, you strive for. You can't ever say that people are going to come hang out in your bar if you open it. But, you know, I I think that place really inspired me in a lot of ways.
0: That's awesome. And I definitely feel that and also miss that at this time when we can't walk down the hill and go hang out in Tazlow. Because I have so many good conversations There, with people that I just run into, and it's awesome. And you definitely do not get that in every bar you go to. So, we should talk about the collab you did with Port Rexton. This isn't the first year you guys have done it. Have you done it for the last two years? No, this
2: is actually so. This is our first collab with Port Rexton, but it's actually our second collaboration we've ever done because our first one was actually with Bootleg Brew Company. Uh, this one would have been done. uh, I mean, the idea was probably planted a while before that, but I think we brewed it in February, the first round of it, or what we thought would be the only round, maybe. And now it's the second batch just came out and it's sold out. Uh, And then I do think they're going to brew it again. I think it's actually going to be around for a little while.
0: so. So what kind of beer is it and what is it called?
2: We didn't really... It is a sea buckthorn sour, and we decided not to really name it. Uh, I don't think we came up with anything witty or, you know, nothing really uh, spawned in our heads to use. But yeah, essentially, it kind of came about because probably just through maybe friendship with uh, Sonia and Alicia there at Port Rex, and we kind of, uh, you know, I've hung out at each other's places, and we they kind of invited us to come out at some point to do like a cocktail pop-up out at the brewery. And since then, we've done we've done it a handful of times. Like, uh, yeah, the last time we were out doing cocktails, I think we kind of chatted a bit about doing a beer, like a collaboration beer. And at the time, we were actually um, we had a cocktail done up that was just a seabuckthorn sour, but it was a gin, you know, uh, lemon seabuckthorn, uh, pretty simple cocktail to be honest. Uh, we made it, you know, we made the syrup from scratch and stuff. Yeah, we kind of were influenced by that, I guess, in a lot of ways when we were trying to think of what to do. You know, I think you do see a lot of beers now around that are, you know, semi-cocktail related or or inspired by cocktails, which is kind of interesting. So from the bar sense, you know, if you're trying to balance a cocktail, it's, I guess, somewhat similar to balancing out a brew, right? So Seabock Thorn is a berry. You can actually grow it here. It's it's not from Newfoundland. It's, I think it was Northern Europe and stuff originally, but uh, a lot of, obviously, it grows well in in Canada and, and Newfoundland and stuff like that. So it is like a berry, it's kind of a weird weird thorny bush. Like the most that I know about it's actually pretty hard to pick because it's pretty labor intensive and also the thorns, you can tear up your hands a bit if you're not got a bit of protective gloves on or something. It's a really strange berry because it can grow in our climate, but it actually kind of gives a citrusy kind of uh, profile, like taste profile to it.
0: Well, I hope that we get another batch of it for summer because it sounds like such a good summer beer
2: yeah, just it's kinda of juicy. Yeah, just super nice to have on a on a hot day, that's for sure. And it is a little
0: lower at 4.8%. Well, thanks for chatting, Chris. Yeah, not a
2: problem.
0: Thanks for listening to the Newfoundland Beer Podcast. This podcast is produced in partnership with CHMR ninety-three point five FM. You can find us on Instagram at NL Beer Podcast.